All right. Um, welcome to the 2019 Voices from Around the World. Voices from Around the World is sponsored by ACB's Committee on International Relations. I, Sandra Sermons, am the chair, and I'd first like to acknowledge um, our committee members, Naomi Sewell, Alan Casey, Oral Miller, Denise Decker, um, and so Denise, uh, Denise and Oral are both from Washington, D.C. Naomi is from St. Louis. Alan is from North Carolina. I am from Rockville, Maryland. Um, the committee members who could not make it, uh, Myra Brodsky from New York. Our officer liaison is Mr. Dan Spoon of Orlando, Florida. What I'd like to do is first, let's go around and see who's here so that we can welcome our international guests properly. Hi, everybody. I'm Naomi Sewell. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, pre uh, president of Missouri Council of the Blind. Uh, Dan Spoon from Orlando, Florida. Yep. Uh, Ann Parsons, Rochester, New York. Tabitha Brecky, Auburn, Alabama. Welcome. Alan Casey, North Carolina. Luther Grulick from Oregon and California. Jean Marie Moore from Oregon and now California. Welcome. Uh, Michael Alvarez, Portland, Oregon. I have been at these things many times. I think since their inception. Welcome, Michael. Hi, my name is Guillermo Robles from Los Angeles. Mary Lynn Pifo from Westerville, Ohio. Marvelina Gray, St. Louis, Missouri. Welcome, Marvelina. Betsy Doan, Shelton, Connecticut, between New Haven and Bridgeport. And yes, I have had the pleasure of attending these before. Thank you. Excellent. Jim Cummings, Bay State Council of the Blind, Boston, Massachusetts, and yes, I have been to this before. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Cheryl Cummings, Bay State Council of the Blind, Boston, Massachusetts. Hey, Cheryl, she serves on Multicultural with me as well. <clears throat> Carrie Hooper, Elmira, New York. Sherry Wells, Chicago, now Bloomington, Indiana. Welcome. John Ray, Toronto, Ontario, and a former member of the committee. Yes. Our first international guest. Hello, John. Welcome. Thank you. Dee Snyder, Knoxville, Tennessee. Welcome. Tom Garrett, Janesville, Wisconsin. Welcome. Nancy Garrett, Janesville, Wisconsin. Welcome. Chris, Hunt Chris Hunsinger, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Welcome. Suzanne Erb, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is definitely well represented. Hi, Colbert Ashby, all the way from Barbados. Hello. Sandra. Raquel Springer, Barbados. Kwame King, Barbados as well. Thank you. 
my name is Ashley. I'm an instructor at Leader Dogs for the Blind in Rochester, Michigan. Hi, my name is Kate Roberts, and I'm also an instructor with Leader Dogs in Michigan. My name is Meredith Bride, and I'm also a Leader Dog instructor from Rochester, Michigan. Wow. Well, we've got the guide dog school oh. contingent. Yes, welcome. Hi, I'm Francisco My name Lima, is... and I'm a litter dogs user. Francisco's actually, Francisco's actually participating um, virtually. He is in Recife. Um, so actually, what we'll do is, Francisco, if you can introduce yourself one more time, just a little bit louder so everyone can hear you. So uh, I'm Francisco Lim. I'm currently calling from Brazil, northeast of Brazil, Pernambuco. And I'm really proud to be one of your uh, members today. I will love to talk to you guys all. And as I said, I am a little dog uh, school user as well. My name is... Um, I'm from Rochester. Um, I lived in other countries. Um, my name is Yasmina, but I changed it here to Jeannie because it's easier to remember. Um, I did live in other countries. Um, I used to have a guide dog from GTP, um, and she passed away. And uh, I got a second one, didn't work out. Now I have a, just a pet dog okay. um, named Leo. Okay. Welcome. Thank you. Steve Bauer from Culver City, California. Excellent. Welcome. Um, Okay, I think what we'll tr we just heard from Francisco, he was remote. The other participant is Shakila Maharaj. I think, Shakila, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you clearly. Can and you hear me? Yes. If you can introduce yourself as a participant of our panel. Uh, okay, so I'm Shakila, based here in Durban, South Africa. Yeah. And... Uh, well, I'm delighted to be part of this discussion. Do you want to hear more? Not yet. <laughs> Today, we have a very interesting panel going on. Um, we always try to do something new and exciting, and we also are trying to introduce virtual technology. Um, the thing about virtual technology is it allows us to have access to information that we normally wouldn't have because as you know, quite often it's very difficult for our international guests to join us in person. So rather than doing, rather than joining us personally, um, we're going to have a special panel today and the, the impetus for this is we all know that as people who are blind or visually impaired, um, there are lots of nonverbal cultural norms that we grow up learning as Americans, but then when we go to other countries, we may miss. So both Shaquilla and Francisco are here to kind of discuss some of the various um, social nonverbal cultural norms 
in their respective countries and how you might go about kind of asking the information that you need so that you can um, be a part of those customs if you ever visit those countries as opposed to sort of um, not and running the risk of, of facing some unfortunate situations. Um, because, what, so what we're going to do is we're going to start the panel, but we're going to go ahead and allow um, Shaquilla and Francisco to talk. That way, when while we can listen to what they're saying, they're presenting, and then hopefully we will be far enough in the meal um, to be able to then ask questions later. So, ladies first, I think I'm going to, um, Shaquilla, you and Francisco can speak for about 10 to 12 minutes each. We're gonna hold questions until the end of the presentation and we're gonna do ladies first. So Shaquilla, you are free to start at any time. Oh, wow, okay. So can everyone hear me clearly? Yes. Okay, so thank you very much for this opportunity. And I must admit, it's my first time doing uh, something like this through Zoom. So you had asked me uh, to talk about cultural norms in South Africa. So I thought, let me give everyone a little bit of background on the, the types of cultures we have here. Because I live in a very diverse community, very much like all of you in the United States. So is everyone still with me? Yes, we are. Okay, great. So in South Africa, we're approximately about 55 million, our population, and about 70% would be African black. And within that, we've got nine language groups. And then you've got uh, approximately 15% or so uh, white population. And they would have largely originated from Dutch. And the language there is Afrikaans, Dutch and the British. And of course, now it's become much more diverse. And then you've got uh, uh, the smaller grouping of Indians. We are about just over 3%, I think. And then we've got what they call a colored uh, uh, colored sector, which is made up of mixed races, that would have been traditionally, or in the past, how South African population was segregated. But after democracy in 1994, we've had an influx of first-generation individuals coming from various countries. So now you've got a far more uh, mixed uh, mixed society. Uh, and you know, really rep representative of most nations in the world. So that too is, is an experience for us uh, yeah. to, to be meeting people from all over Africa, settling within South Africa, and to be meet, to be coming across various European nationalities settling in the country and across Asia, Chinese, Japanese, South African, I mean Indian, and so forth. So my, okay, so within all of that, you can imagine the various norms. Uh, I must admit, though, when I thought about the topic, I think there's more common norms than different norms. And, I, and at the same time, your, culture, your norms, your behavioral norms, are 
impacted by so many influences. So we may talk about these nationalities that I've mentioned. Then you will talk about religious groupings within them that will influence your norms. Then you go further down and you drill down and you've got your uh, community within which you live in, your age group, your right down to individual families. So you and modern and traditional norms. So I think there's such a mix that a lot of it sort of evens out and you get more common norms than, than different norms. But I would like to share with you some of the stark differences and then go on to uh, talk about my personal experiences as a blind person living in this country and, and traveling the world as well and, and experiencing people. Uh, and, you know, so while I mentioned all those various levels of influences, obviously your disability influences your cultural, uh, your behavioral norms as well. So are you all still with me? Can you hear me clearly? Yes, we can. Okay, good. So, uh, okay. The stark differences, and you may have already experienced this yourself, uh, I find when you look at things like eye contact, now, for us as blind persons, that may be somewhat difficult to relate to, although from an intellectual point of view, you can grasp what, what, what the concept is all about. But what I've found is making direct eye contact can be viewed very differently within the different cultural groupings in South Africa. So your traditional African uh, cultures and your Asian cultures tend not to make direct eye contact, whereas your uh, Western and European cultures would make direct eye contact, and it'll be viewed as different. And how I found this quite disturbing was uh, specifically in the work context, when you're involved in interviews and recruitment, immediately your, your recruitment panel would interpret the behavior differently. So as you are aware that if, if you look down rather than making eye contact, you can be viewed as submissive or low, lacking confidence or whatever. Yet within the traditional uh, cultures like our African cultures and Asian cultures, it's actually viewed as something positive and seen as a form of respect. And making direct eye contact is seen then as aggressive. So blind persons actually adopt that behavior pattern too. You would find that they would either look directly at you or they would look downwards in line with their, their, their uh, traditional belief systems or the groupings that they come from. So that, that's something that's still prevalent. And uh, handshakes. So again, in line with Western culture, you would find a firm handshake would mean, uh, again, confidence or in control. Again, on the other hand, uh, among more traditional cultures, and especially Asian, you would not give a very firm handshake. Uh, a gentle handshake is, is seen more respectful. And of course, me particularly, I would give an extremely gentle one for hygiene purposes. I'm, I'm not inclined at all to want to shake someone's hand too, uh, too strongly. So, you know, it, it, it can really vary, and the way you interpret it can begin to vary as well. So, 
I find in the work context it's very important because I'm an HR consultant and policy and strategy developer, I, I often find that I would have to brief uh, persons on this issue before we would commence with any session so that they don't misinterpret. And then, of course, if you've got persons with disabilities who can't, who can't shake, uh, shaking the hand is not appropriate, who may have limited mobility, that further impacts on the way it's interpreted, right? So, I mean, you would know all about that. So again, uh, there's, I must tell you, in, in South Africa, uh, the Zulus, the province I come from, KwaZulu-Natal, the, the, uh, the predominant African grouping here would be your Zulus. They got a very, uh, very distinct way of shaking <coughs> one's hand. They, um, they would clasp your hand like a normal handshake, and then they would move it, rotate the hand, and just grip your thumb. Can you figure that one out? And when they do that, that's like a, a double kind of a handshake. And it almost means camaraderie as well. So I, as I was saying, I think there's more common uh, cultural norms than different norms. And that if you were to visit, and I do hope you get to visit South Africa, I don't think you're going to find it uh, a culture shock in terms of cultural norms. And I, I, because travel and, and exposure to, to social media and television and movies and just with travel becoming so common, people are adopting similar ways in which they behave. Uh, handshakes, hugging, kissing. You would, I think the best thing is to always check, if you are concerned, is to always check up front is it appropriate for me to shake your hand or, or hug you? I do find uh, persons, uh, visually impaired persons, blind persons, much more touchy, much more feely, and, it's, and it is more acceptable. I'm a person who tends to hug. I love hugging. I, uh, within our family, we all hug, we all kiss each other. So that's something I do with ease and with comfort. And people have, have learned to respond to me in the same way. We have a family across the road, a Portuguese family, who will take your face in their hands and kiss both cheeks. And so I know when, when I meet that family, I, I respond in the same way. I must admit, recently I had a little bit of an unnerving experience uh, because I have a tendency to hug and to, and to automatically go forward to want to, to let a person give me a kiss on my forehead or whatever. I discovered that the wives of, of the husbands were, were somewhat jealous by that kind of gesture. And I didn't realize it initially. And later came to discover that and then quickly realized that I, I, I had to you know, refrain from doing that. But by that stage, I had conditioned all the husbands to hug and kiss me on the cheek. So, so the thing is, when you become aware, then you may want to curb some of your, 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 your typical behaviors, which you think is quite natural. I was talking to uh, another blind colleague just the other day, and I asked him, well, what do you do when you um, meet someone for the first time? And he said, I automatically put my hand out to shake. He says, uh, shake their hand, whether they sight it or not. And, uh, and he says, I, I put one hand out, and then I put the other hand out 
to, to grasp their arm. And then I run my, arm, my hand up their arm so I get a sense of their height and build. And, <laughs> and he says, I make sure I restrict that exclusively to, the, to their arm because then you don't want to be misinterpreted. And I thought, wow, that's quite clever. Because when I hug someone, then I get a sense of their built and height. And I don't really do that to gauge that. I do it because within our family, as I said, we all just hug each other out of affection. So I think I must drop it there now. If you, if you wish to ask me questions, I mean, I'd be delighted to answer them. But there, there's, there's a lot of, of subtleties that we may not realize we're doing. We just do it spontaneously. So please feel free to ask any questions between the mouthfuls you're taking. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for your talk. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. And uh, thank you all for inviting me for this uh, afternoon conversation. So uh, it's always a pleasure and an honor to be talking uh, with you guys. Uh, as I have mentioned, I'm from uh, Brazil, and here I am in the northeast of Brazil. So before I actually talk about norms, uh, I have to say that Brazil is really a very, very large country, you know, very continental. Um, let's put it this way, if you don't count Alaska, Brazil is going to be a bit bigger than the United States. So whenever we talk about norms, we've got to remember people from the south and the north and the northeast and southwest and so on and so forth will have different uh, behaviors. Though, in general, uh, we are talking about the same people. Um, another thing is, in Brazil, we speak Portuguese, um, you know, we're, we were a colony of Portugal, and that makes a lot of difference because some people still think that Brazil, uh, Brazilians speak Spanish, and uh, well, that's not true. Uh, of course, we do understand a lot of Spanish because those two languages are Latin-based, uh, so primarily we have Latin and then we have Italian, French, uh, Portuguese, Spanish, and so on. So uh, there are quite a few uh, similarities, but you know some of those similarities may put uh, you know Spanish-speaking people in a little bit of a trouble. And again, some of the customs that you might find of throughout people who are um, from Spain or any other Latin country will be different in Brazil. So uh, that's important to say. Um, as to that, the capital of Brazil is not Buenos Aires. <laughs> Buenos Aires is the capital of Argentina which is in the south of Brazil. So uh, if you look at the map, 
you know, Argentina is still below in the South America map. So we're talking about here about real big country at this time, uh, as far as season is concerned, we are uh, in uh, winter. And this means that in the south of Brazil, southeast of Brazil, they're having like uh, 36, 37 uh, Fahrenheit, uh, about like three, four, uh, two, minus one uh, Celsius as far as temperature. Here in the Northeast, we are in the up 80s. So you can see that these kind of things will interfere with lots of the so-called behavioral or non-verbal uh, language. For one, in the Northeast of Brazil, a state which is really, really big, uh, much bigger than many countries uh, in Europe, for instance, a place called Bahia. People are known as talking very slowly like that. And they say people from Bahia are kind of lazy or whatever. That is not true. The thing is, it's so hot there that many people want work at regular times as other people would expect them to do. Uh, 10 o'clock a.m., 1 o'clock p.m., and so on. So, Was that Francisco or Peter? I'm also here. Ah, okay, Peter. Francisco, we're going to let Peter um, introduce himself and give his little his presentation <laughs> before we no longer have Peter anymore. <laughs> I'm really sorry. <laughs> I could hear you all the time, but I don't know why you didn't hear me. Well, it's great to be here. I'm Peter Brass from Berlin, Germany. So greetings uh, from Germany. Uh, I had the pleasure to attend these times before in person, and now I try to do it virtually. Am I still there with you? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, when it comes to the different cultural norms here in Germany, um, I suppose um, we will f find some similarities, especially among the European countries and maybe to a certain extent to the US as well. For example, a great thing here in Germany when you meet people is a handshaking. That's, that's the, the big thing here in Germany. There's also among, among friends, usually rather close friends, there's a lot of hugging going on, but you certainly would not hug, uh, say, your colleagues at work or especially any uh, superiors. Uh, and also among males, hugging is not as common as it would be among females. Uh, Germans want their personal space. So if you talk to a, a German person, you should try to be about an arm's length away from that person. They don't want crowding. Uh, other than that, um, I suppose many things will be fairly similar. We, we, talk, we talk to each other. Germans are fairly formal. We have um, two ways of addressing each other. There's a very personal way using the 
pronoun du, which means very personal, and then the other way is ze, which is very, very formal. You would talk to, well, people that you don't know, you would use the, the very formal way of addressing them. But, um, and very often uh, we don't use first names, only when you know people rather well, uh, and it always, it's always the, the uh, older person who will have to, you know, make that gesture to use to use first names. <laughs> I remember one time uh, I <laughs> made a really big mistake of asking an older person, uh, you know, to use first names, and I was really rebuked very heavily for for that. Oh. <laughs> wow. um, so, other than that, um, just to give you a, a very short. Uh, introduction of those sorts of cultural norms here in Germany. But other than that, I think you will find the, the customs, the way people behave, very similar to what you are used to in North America. Oh, well, I'll stop there for if you have questions, or maybe give Francisco another chance to finish his uh, report. Okay, now we're back to our regularly scheduled program with Francisco. Okay, um, can you hear us? Yes. All right. So um, I'll just keep some of the uh, things and uh, I'll let you guys ask later on. So let's go straight to uh, what the norms are. One uh, thing that is quite different from the United States as far as distance between people when they're talking is that uh, Brazilians usually get much closer to uh, the other person, and some of the people will even touch each other when they talk. So let's say it would be a kind of a normal if you have someone talking uh, one uh, foot to feet away from you. Uh, of course, you know, if the person gets way too close to you and you don't like it, just step uh, back a little bit and uh, most of the time the person will notice and will uh, comply with that bubble. The other thing is as far as touching, uh, Brazilian people are very, um, how can I put it, affection or warm, so they tend to touch much more than usually Europeans or Americans touch. As far uh, as that is concerned, it is very common that people, even when they are uh, introduced to someone else, that they will kiss once or twice on the cheeks. And especially uh, if you're talking about the opposite sex, uh, a man and a woman, that is very common. So don't really feel uh, embarrassed or, uh, you know, don't misinterpret if the person when uh, he or she is introduced to you, um, he or she will kiss you on the cheek. Um, of course, amongst the youngsters, that very quick kiss on the lips uh, happens, uh, also happens. It's not that common, but it happens. And uh, this, uh, this kind of kiss is not really uh, related to being boyfriends or girlfriends. Um, as far as gender is concerned, uh, nowadays people are more 
uh, open to uh, different uh, sex orientation. So you see people like uh, women kissing each other, men kissing each other. Uh, in some places, though, uh, there are some people uh, who will still find that kind of strange. So, uh, you know, if you find yourself in that position, it's always good, you know, to know where you are uh, before kissing someone uh, uh, of the same sex. Um, blind people tend to prefer uh, holding on to the shoulders other than to the elbow. Uh, which is kind of different from uh, some years ago, but uh, I realized today is more common that people will uh, hold on to somebody else's shoulder. And uh, here's much more common people doing that. In the United States, uh, most of the time, you prefer walking uh, side by side with the person without really touching him or her. Uh, this is less common here. Uh, as far as looking at people, and this especially for sighted people, people with low vision, it's important to understand that Brazilians tend to look at you a little longer than it is expected for the uh, everyday American. So uh, it's not staring, but it's still looking at and uh, of course, staring is not acceptable, though uh, for uh, an everyday American, uh, the, the time that we look at the person would be already considered uh, staring in the States. Uh, another thing that's very important, it's not exactly a, a verbal or nonverbal cue, but it's very important for people visiting Brazil. It's a custom that uh, we have here that whenever you go to the uh, bathroom, uh, you know, a men's room or room, uh, women's room, uh, you've got to throw your paper in a trash bin, usually uh, next to your toilet. So uh, people don't throw the toilet paper in the in the commode, so uh, that's quite different, and it, it takes a little while for people from other places to get used to. If you, you if you throw the paper uh, into the commode, it's pretty likely that you're going to get it uh, clogged. So uh, you'd better throw the, the toilet paper on that trash bin. Um, one last thing before I let you guys uh, ask questions. As far as norms for everyday uh, behavior, we are talking about people who are blind or having low vision. And uh, uh, it's not as common as in the States having guide dogs here. So uh, the, you might find people uh, asking you about your dog, wanting to touch your dog, uh, you know, talking to your dog even uh, without even asking you about it. And there are even places that people will uh, kind of uh, prevent you from going, uh, entering the place with, with their dog, though it is a federal law and they have to comply. 
So, you know, if someone comes and talks uh, to your dog or, you know, uh, start touching your dog, just let him or her know that you're not uh, is, uh, and be uh, really stressed about it. Well, uh, there are quite a few things that uh, we still could talk, but I think, you know, uh, you guys might want to ask. So uh, for now, thank you. Hold on. Okay. So <clears throat> what we're going to do is, first of all, um, let's give them a warm round of applause. Thank you very much. We're gonna go ahead and take questions. Um, we do have a microphone. Okay. Yeah, it works. Yes, I actually have a um, question for Please her. identify yourself oh, first sorry. and then ask I'm the Jean question. I'm Jean Marie from um, Oregon and California because <laughs> I just moved there. Um, my question is for the woman living in Durban who I didn't, Shakila, thank you so much. When I went, had the pleasure of being in South Africa and I was in um, the, the state where you said <laughs> that Durban is. Um, yes. I learned how to do that handshake and I was so happy. And I came home and I was shaking people's hands that way. And what I learned <laughs> is that in this country, that is seen as a gang thing. And I was so yes. shocked. I was so shocked. It ruined my whole experience for a day <laughs> because I loved it. I loved it. I learned it and I was so happy. <laughs> and I love Durban and I'm definitely going to come back. Oh, wonderful. Sandra, can I respond to that? Sure. Yes, so, you can respond. I, I'm so, so delighted that we have, uh, uh, we have one of your uh, delegates there who visited Durban. You're absolutely right that that type of handshake is almost seen as as gangster uh, type. So even here within South Africa, it's a it's acceptable within certain groups to do that, but uh, you certainly wouldn't do that with everyone. You know, you wouldn't shake someone's hand in that manner. Similarly, you have others that are related, a more youth type of gestures like fist bumps and high fives and so forth. Uh, yeah, but thank you for that. Uh, yes, I have a question for Peter. I'm Suzanne Erb from Philadelphia. Um, I'm wondering, uh, with the <clears throat> influx of um, so many people from all sorts of countries uh, emigrating to Germany, uh, has that changed anything culturally? And also, are there differences between the East and the West? Um, I was in Dresden earlier this year, and um, I had heard from some people that there definitely are still some differences between the East and the West. Yes, um, that is true. There, uh, first of all, the, the influx of uh, People, especially from, uh, say, African or some Asian countries, uh, hasn't really made too great a difference because they um, very often tend to stick to their own communities. So 
they it, it takes a relatively long time for them to integrate and then uh, they really try if if they really want to integrate into the German culture they really try to you know as a as as they say, when in Rome, do as the Romans, or when in German, do as the Germans. So um, there, um, you don't really see too many uh, of the, um, well, particular, the, of their particular ways of, of behaving that has not, they, they, those ways have not really found the way into uh, German culture. But what is true is that there are, are still differences between say, a number of, pe of the people in, in East Germany and the people in West Germany. In, in East Germany, there used to be uh, more, well, let's say, solidarity or what maybe you want to call it camaraderie between the people because the communities were closer, families were closer, um, and so that still uh, can be seen today, especially when you go to the more rural places in the in, in the villages, you are find very uh, tightly knit communities, much more so than you would have in in, in West Germany. My name is Carrie Hooper from Elmira, New York, and I have a comment for um, Shakira in South Africa. Um, yes. Is your first language Afrikaans? No, my first language is English. I would be of Indian origin, but okay. English is our is is our official language, right? So everyone learns English, right? And and but in KwaZulu Natal, the Zulu would be the 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 common language for first language. Well, for for. Um, what am I trying to say now? For that grouping, right? We have right. the largest group of African people in right. KwaZulu-Natal, Zulu-speaking. Then yeah. if you go more northeast, then you're coming across other language groups. Right. Um, uh, well, Afrikaans is spoken largely by, by the white community, but, but that too is not entirely correct because if you go towards uh, the other provinces, the Cape, yes. Johannesburg, those areas, all color groups speak Afrikaans. It's actually, you know, their first language. Right. It was a culture shock for me, to be honest, because <laughs> when I traveled within South Africa, I took for granted wherever I go, I would get by with English. And I was quite taken aback that a large mm. part of South Africa, the, the first language is Afrikaans. Afrikaans. Well, whether you're black, Indian, or, or white. Yes. And the other comment I have, I have a friend who is blind, who lives in... Huntsville, Alabama, and he worked in South Africa at a rehabilitation center um, oh. for 18 months. He taught Braille, and he learned some Afrikaans. Excellent. <laughs> so thank you very much, and thank you for your lovely presentation. And, and thank I you for having me. And I have one comment for Peta. Um, I, I am a fluent German speaker, Peter, and I was a German teacher in my area for 17 years. So, ich spreche Deutsch und es freut mich, dass Sie zu uns gesprochen haben. Vielen Dank und ja, behalten Sie es aufrecht. Keep, keep it up. Ja. 
Does anyone else have any other questions? Sure, this is Tabitha Brecky. Okay. And I was wondering if each of our panelists could talk a little bit about how blind and visually impaired students are educated in their countries, whether it's in schools for the blind or in mainstream, and maybe even give us a little bit of the employment picture if they know. Thanks. And actually, that will be the last question. Okay, ladies first. Shaquille. Okay, so we're looking at uh, education and employment, right? So, so largely the schools are uh, separated in terms of uh, special needs schools, although in terms of the laws and terms of policies, the um, integrated and mainstreaming of persons with disabilities is what's promoted. But in actual practice and implementation, there's only a small percentage of persons with visual disabilities and other disabilities that, uh, that are mainstreamed. And even the mainstream model is not, doesn't operate very successfully. So you may have uh, facilities, educational facilities in certain schools that want to promote mainstreaming, but they're not equipped to do so and rather than the learner with the disability being advantaged, they are disadvantaged from being mainstreamed because teachers are not equipped, equipment, uh, assistive technology is not provided, facilities are not accessible and so forth. So in South Africa, you could say that mainstreaming is more, uh, more limited, uh, more the exception and more the rule is specialist, uh, specialist schools. So schools for the blind, schools for persons with physical disabilities, schools for hearing impaired. You may get, uh, you may get schools that may accommodate uh, students with different disabilities. Uh, and, we, and we have some good, good practice examples of that right here in Durban, where you have small, very focused schools that are very progressive because the teachers are very progressive. And they make you know, a huge personal investment in the students and they come then with different disabilities and they're able to develop at their, at their own pace and, and eventually you know, achieve equally highly as, as children without disabilities. So that's on the education side. More and more technology has been introduced into schools, special needs schools, and, um, and some of the technology is, is quite redundant, not thought of carefully, and just bought and, and introduced to schools without proper support in terms of training of children and, and teachers. So much of that technology becomes fruitless expenditure and just idle. On the other hand, if, if the technology is carefully thought of, and, and properly you know, implemented then, and, and students and learners are trained on how to use it and teachers and backup support, then you find it, it turns out to be a really good solution. So that's on the education side. Uh, on the employment side, less than 1% of persons with disabilities are employed in South Africa, and that's, that's across all disabilities. And the, the most favored disability in the workplace is your wheelchair user. So, uh, the tendency is still to think that blind persons are the most difficult to accommodate and the most expensive to employ. And so you would find 
our disability is the most feared here in this country. Uh, I was so amazed to find in India how progressive uh, blind persons are there and how employable they become and, and, the, and the high levels of income they, they, they earn, particularly within the technology industry. So to, to come back to South Africa, we've still a long way to go. The laws are very progressive, as I said earlier on. When we became a democracy, which was quite late in terms of our development, which was in 1994, then South Africa looked at all the best uh, legal instruments in the world and drew from that and developed their own. But the implementation of those laws uh, are, are lagging behind. And that is not to say that we, we're not in a better place than where we, where we were before 1994. We South Africa is definitely a better place for, for, for persons with disabilities and for persons in general. And, and that is in terms of education, employment, everything, and opportunities. But in, in many ways, it's still a very racially divided country, and it's still structured on racial lines because of affirmative action and a concept that we call broad-based black economic empowerment. So you find this artificial criteria that has redefined and structured our country and channels the different race groups. And people with disabilities are, are uh, unfortunately an integral part of that channeling. So if you are African black and disabled, you would have greater preferences uh, and access to employment and other facilities because of the, the, the way in which racial preferences are, are structured. So, yeah, so I could go on talking about it, but, but that's, that's basically the, the situation. Any, any other questions? Have I, have I lost everyone? No. I think um, Francisco and Peter, would either of you gentlemen like to respond to the question? Sure. If Education I, and employment, yes. If, if I, Peter. Uh, Francisco. Francisco, go, go ahead. ahead. Go, go ahead. All right. Uh, thanks. Well, um, uh, before that, uh, let me give you a quick tip for uh, those uh, blind people who will come and visit Brazil. One good thing about uh, Brazil um, community system is that whenever you go uh, to, a, uh, to use a subway, you can uh, ask someone and uh, they have uh, special people who will uh, bring you to the uh, train and contact the person at the other end. And uh, when you get off the train, there's going to be a person waiting for you uh, so uh, he or she can uh, accompany you till uh, you know the outside of the uh, the subway system, which is uh, very helpful, especially when you don't know uh, the city very well. Um, as far as the law is concerned, uh, people who have some kind of a disability have priority in systems, and that is true to. Uh, as far as education is concerned. So most of all, now we have a mainstream school. Uh, we have very, very few schools for the blind and no more schools uh, as residential schools for the blind as we used to have. 
in the past. Uh, Braille is still largely used or taught, though as we progress in uh, um, later years of schooling, uh, people tend to use uh, cell phones and computers more than Braille itself. Um, Braille displays, Braille printers are very expensive, so uh, only at very, very uh, special services you will have that. You uh, may have that at school, but uh, regularly these students won't have uh, the, uh, the Braille display to use at home. Not even a Brailler, uh, which is also expensive. So most of the time people will use at school but at home they will use slate and stylus or which is more common today uh, computers and cell phones uh, as far as job is concerned uh, uh, again there is a law that will uh, provoke people to employ uh, people who have some kind of disability Therefore, uh, people who are blind or have low vision is uh, also in that uh, group. So uh, companies with more than 100 um, employees are obliged to have people with disability as employees. So the more they have employees, uh, the more they have to employ people with disability. As far as uh, salary is concerned uh, and the occupation itself, uh, again, it all depends on what kind of job you're doing. If you're uh, a lawyer or if you're, uh, you know, any other um, kind of uh, uh, employment that you have, you, you may uh, make less money than uh, a sighted person. That is true, too. Um, as far as access to uh, devices, uh, technology, assistive technology, uh, we are getting more and more, but still uh, economy is a big issue there. Um, as to uh, people who with people who can see with only one eye uh, to understand whether they are considered people with disability. And the discussion goes because uh, uh, many people who have uh, sight and only one eye will get jobs that will, quote, be for people who are blind when comparing that priority in employment. So there's a discussion over there. Okay. Um, Peter, did you want to add something to it? Well, if we, if we still have time, I could, yes. Yes, if you, um, you can, yes. we can, um, we can, we do have still a little bit of time. Um, I'm just saying if, if you can briefly sketch it, because our technology has been working very well, but I don't want to push it. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and be quick. So after um, now 10 years ago, Germany signed the UNCRPD and uh, at that time inclusion became the great big theme in education. But we find that uh, especially when it comes to uh, teacher qualifications and the uh, 
provision of equipment and materials in special formats such as Braille, uh, the public schools are not very well equipped to do that. So uh, inclusion doesn't really work out as well as uh, people wished it would. We still have special schools. They, we have the, in, in all the, the, the 16 German states, there's at least one special school for the blind. And so we find oftentimes, especially people who do not manage to succeed in inclusion, then they go back to the special schools to, to finish their education. When it comes to employment, um, we do have a quota scheme here in Germany, uh, probably similar to Brazil. Companies or um, whatever uh, institutions that have at least uh, 20 employees have to have uh, at least 5% of their uh, personnel as disabled people. But if they do not uh, fulfill the quota, they have to pay a fine. But we find, especially in private industry, that the, the em employers much rather pay that fine and uh, do not really employ disabled people. Uh, wheelchair users are probably the, the best uh, 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 group of people when it comes to employment. Blind and visually impaired people, we have, I would say, those of an employable age, we maybe have about 30 to 35% uh, of people actually employed. In academia, you have the better chances. Um, um, there we find uh, pretty good employment possibilities, but um, many of the, especially industrial jobs, have fallen by the wayside in the last, well, 15, 20 years due to mechanization and, and robots and, and what have you. So the employment situation is pretty, pretty bleak for blind and visually impaired people. We try to improve it. Government is trying to occasionally uh, introduce programs to um, further the employment of uh, disabled people, but progress is very slow. Well, let's just um, thank you very much, Peter, for that uh, comprehensive response. And thank you, Peter, Shaquilla, and Francisco. Thank you so much for participating. That was great doing it this way, and I really hope to be there again in person next year. We can't wait to see you. And thank you. Thank you, okay. and bye. Bye. Thank you very much. Enjoy, enjoy the rest of the convention. Thank you. Choose. How do I end this? I must say it was brilliant. You're asking the same question. Hey, I'm telling my son it was so brilliant. Thank you very much. Hi, Prashant for this opportunity. Prashant, say hi to Sandra and to everyone. Hello. Can you hear him? Yes. <laughs> so he helped me with the technology. Excellent. We wish he so, was here to help us. Uh, let, let me check on my screen if there's an end button. Do you see that? OK, bye. 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 <laughs> so we. Guys, if I can get your attention just a little bit longer, and I promise you will not hear me again until next year, um, which is incentive enough to keep this moving. Um, <laughs> so with the remainder of you guys here, what we always want to do as a committee is ask, you know, do, do you guys, did you benefit from this presentation? Do you want to see something? Would you like to see us do something different? Would you, do you like the luncheon, another model? What? Um, 
What would you like to see us do in the future? My name is Jean Marie Moore, and I am, I really loved it. And um, what I, but I'm really curious. I mean, I, I recognize there's two people at least from, three people from Barbados, and it's too bad we won't have time to talk to them because that, it's a very different, um, different environment. And I'd be curious about the same kind of questions. But um, I liked it. I think a lunch is the most reasonable um, way to go about it. It has some disadvantages, but the, the diff I didn't mean to back the this from you. Um, the difficulty that we're having is we like present we like the lunches, we like the but they're starting to get prohibitively expensive. And at some point in the not too distant future, we we're gonna get to the point where we really are losing money. At this point we're breaking even. We can't we can't keep increasing the cost. Um, and we, you know. Thank you. Uh, there we go. Um, okay, can you hear me all right now? Okay. Uh, Ann Parsons from Rochester. And I think one of, the, one of the things that disappointed me was that our friends from Barbados all sat together. And I would like to see if I come to another one of these if you have uh, people who are here from other countries, that you make a um, concerted effort to spread them around. Because then, you know, you get to talk to people. And uh, I, I would like to see some uh, talk about, um, you know, folks from uh, Asia and folks from the Middle East because um, I think that's an important uh, part of the part of the mix. But I have enjoyed myself greatly. This is my first convention and my first meeting here. And so I'm, I'm just delighted to be here and thank you so much. Mary Lynn Pifo, we had an Asian teacher from China speak at Ski for Light a couple years ago, and she was excellent. Hi, this is uh, Guillermo from Los Angeles. Um, I'm just wondering if there's a, a, a listserv where um, these intercultural discussions can be had. Um, and so what you are... You all are saying, making excellent suggestions, Guillermo. Make sure that you see me before you leave so that I have your contact information um, because what we can do is revive the listserv. That's a good idea. And we absolutely are open to the idea of ha you know, having the Middle East and, and Asia represented. Um, as far as seating, that tends to get a bit tedious. We can try, but we... we that, that really gets kind of, um, you know, we can have that conversation, but in, in our experience, um, unless literally you have somebody that's like there, as people come in, okay, you sit here, you sit there, it, it gets to be, right, it, it, it gets to be problematic, so, but we'll keep it under consideration. Okay, I have a pretty loud mouth, I thought you might be able to hear me, okay, okay. thank you so much. 
Sue Bowmaster from uh, Annandale, Virginia. And my comment, I like the lunches. I think they're a little formal. It would be great. It might take a couple conventions to really get, get it uh, formalized, but if we could get maybe an early evening, late afternoon, kind of mixer more setting where, I mean, I don't think people should be told to sit, you know, you sit there and you sit there. It's, I think it's very natural for people who come to a, a country where you have people of your own country, you kind of tend to find them and, and stay with them, and I think that's, that's perfectly comfortable. Uh, but in a mixer kind of setting, we could walk around and introduce ourselves and meet each other. It, uh, like I said, it may take a couple conventions to get a room like that set up, and Hi, once again, this is Colbert from Barbados with my colleagues, and it's our first time. We traveled a very long distance, but it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure being here and seeing the camaraderie among the different states and its members, and with the presentation which we had just a while ago. It was rather intriguing in terms of the greeting. We have similar actions as we greet with shake hands, but not with the kissing. So our culture, our culture will be different. But nonetheless, yes, and, but nonetheless, the interaction, I find that when you meet colleagues or persons on the elevator or in the hallway, we tend to greet them and say where we are from. Being that we're all visually impaired and low vision. That's how I met you guys. <laughs> That's it, all right? And I'm sure that our voices our culture is different in the way how we speak. So you can tell that we are not from a part of America. We're from the Caribbean. Well, those are some of the aspects that we're working on in our country, employment, because Barbados had signed on on the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disability. And one of the articles that my organization, Barnard, the Barbados National Organization of the Disabled, has taken on awareness and employment. So we have uh, one of our programs known as Job Prep, preparing those persons with disability for the world of work, because you never know when the opportunity comes. And like it was said, that person who are visually impaired or blind have difficulty in cementing a job. But persons who have mobility challenges, they will more get a job than a person that are blind. So it seems that the problem is all over the world. So I thank you once again for having us with you, and we're looking forward to enjoying the remainder of the convention. Oh, hi, this is Cheryl, Sandra. Um, and I think um, something to maybe truly consider is, I mean, we're going to be in Chicago next year. It's a city that's got lots of like ethnic, racial uh, diversity, diversity oh, yeah. and communities. So maybe it might make sense. I don't know if we could do it financially to actually, you know, find a group that we'd like to learn some more about and actually go to the group um, as like a trip or something. Um, and, and you know, and spend time. Um, getting to learn that history, because I mean, I think Chicago. I mean, everybody does, but Chicago definitely has like neighborhoods that are associated with particular sort of racial and ethnic groups. So, to think about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
again. Um, one thought we could have on the food, in a lot of the groups at pizza, like an hors d'oeuvre, but since we want to emphasize international, if we had mini egg rolls and meatballs and pieces of vegetable just to dip, that'd be much less. And really, having a few little mini egg rolls. Well, I'm sorry, what? Okay, well, it's just an idea of hors d'oeuvres that are, tend to be international would serve the purpose. Right. The issue is, so here's the thing. Um, the, the difficulty that we're having, voices from around the world um, began with the reception. And we had, you know, the advantage of it was it was less formal, less structured, so you could walk around, but the and we had you know the egg rolls meatball different all sorts of different um international foods but it got to be too expensive and when we we started to look at the price and said okay if we're gonna have to pay that much you may as well pay for lunch now we're to the point where it, it, we're about to surpass the banquet ticket so <laughs> we we don't we we agree and we hear you but we're in a quandary because things keep, if, if you want to maintain the style and quality, we can't do the, the, the chip dips and peanuts. You know, that's not what we originated with and so we have a certain reputation and that, that leaves us in, in a bit of a quandary. No, they won't, they won't work with us. We, we did that too. And even though we are a smaller committee, our budget is larger. And when we co-sponsored, they felt like we were usurping everything, so that's a no-go. Multicultural. Isn't that great? Okay, all right. It's Naomi Sewell, and you know, some you people or a few of you were um, asking about maybe more informal settings, and you know, what we could do, like like uh, I think uh, the Next Gen and you know a few other groups, are just you know meeting in you know in the bar or whatever, and you know we can always you know announce that at you know in the the convention you know, just saying, hey, you know, international committee's meeting in the bar, anyone who would like to join us, and, you know, we, that's a compromise, and that's something that might be doable. I like that idea. You can have port from Portugal, you can have beer from Germany. And we have the countries, um, right now, what we always do is we report out to Kim which countries are represented. At the moment, we have Canada, Barbados, and Australia. Susan's here somewhere, I've seen her. That's okay, she's here. She's here in spirit. Um, any other countries? I guess not, okay. Who's from Nepal? Uh, she's doing a service, I talked to her This is my first time being here, and I really found 
this to be very interesting um, to be here. At first, I did not know what to expect. And if I was like, I thought, should I even go here? I, I don't know. So, I, but when I came here and heard this, it's very interesting and kind of it's very, um, there's a lot to learn from each other. Um, but if the cost is involved, I mean, yes, in order to learn something, it costs something. So um, um, why not to come up with some kind of, kind of committee or um, maybe to increase the cost and to pay? Um, I don't know. I would love to come again. I, and, and thank you for that. Uh, we, we do have some um, initiatives. We, like our international guests don't, we try to comp, comp the tickets of our international guests. Um, and we just started an auction. This is our second year and Dan tells me that we did very well. So we are trying, but we, we do have some monetary constraints because no one is a grant writer. Um, and I'm not a salesman. I'd much rather just go buy it. So if, I mean, I basically, but uh, we can no longer use my personal funds as the international relations budget. So, um, you know, that, that day, those days are gone. So we, we're trying to stretch the limited resources and, and we hear you. Um, we just need some additional assistance because money will only go so far. And on that note, I would like to bring this luncheon to a close. If you're interested in being a part of the listserv, please see me, Sandra Sermons. Um, and thank you all for attending.